Our scripture passage this morning is Psalm 129. As you know, this, uh, this series has been Psalms of Ascent. Um, so this is one of those psalms, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Greatly have they afflicted me for my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Just, just. <laughs> Let me pray for my brother Wayne. I'm going to let you sit while I pray for you, okay? It might be awkward, but I'm not going to make you stand here while I pray for you. Uh, pray with me. Lord, this is your word. And we come this morning to hear your word, to be changed by it, to be transformed by it, to meet you face to face in your word, Lord. And I pray for my brother Wayne that your spirit would fill him and give him the words to say, Lord, that he would uh, preach your word confidently this morning, not in his, not confident in his own abilities to preach, which are great, um, a great gift from you, Lord, but in confidence in your spirit. Um, so, Lord, please, please speak through Wayne this morning um, and through your word to us and transform our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, family. All right. So uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Wayne Penn Jr. And wow, I'm, I'm humbled to say this, but I'm the Worship and Connections Director here at Riverside Community Church. <laughs> I, I am I'm deeply humbled and so appreciative of your love, your support and your affirmation. It's not a light thing, and I don't take it lightly, and uh, I solicit your prayers also because I do want to serve faithfully but also effectively, and so y'all pray that uh, God gives me the strength and the grace to do that. Uh, the reason why I am sitting down is because uh, not any heroics regarding jumping in front of a bus to save any kind of, what was it, a monkey or something? <laughs> a puppy? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not that brave, bro. Um, but no, uh, was playing basketball last Friday and probably played one too many games. And as many of you know, kind of joked at me, I'm not as young as I think I am. Um, so yeah, it's it's an Achilles injury. Praying that it's not a rupture. Um, based on what a lot of people have told me who have had similar injuries, it probably is just a strain. So I'm optimistic about that. Y'all, please keep me in your prayer because it's driving me nuts that I'm not as active as I can be. So pray for me. Um, that being said, I'm going to dive right into our text. We have a lot of elements today, so I don't want to be before you too long. Um, and I'm not joking when I say that. You know, it's a, it's a joke in the black church that whenever a preacher says that, you, you anticipate being up there for a long time. I promise you I'm not going to be long, all right? <laughs> and if I am, hold me to it. Um, I'm going to jump right into our text. Um, has anybody ever experienced any form of childhood trauma? I'm pretty sure everybody in here can raise their hand to some degree. Um, 
it's there's one game that you know nobody wins at. It's a comparison game. So I'm not going to try to compare you know my childhood issues with with anybody else. But I was picked on mercilessly as a kid. Um, one because of you know how skinny I am. Two because of the fact that I'm a PK. Three because of the fact that uh, I, I underneath all this hair that you all see, I have a really really funny shaped head. Um, and so kids appreciate y'all laughing by the way. Uh, <laughs> But it, 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 it was to a point where it really, really discouraged me and got me down. It affected me in ways that I did not anticipate. But there's something about God gracing you to overcome, even though it may seem minute, there's something about God gracing you to overcome things that afflict you and affect you in your youth. And it's something to look back and to see where God has brought you. Amen? Amen? So that's kind of where we find ourselves in our text today. This is... Psalm 129 is a reflection uh, by the psalmist regarding the nation of Israel on where God has brought them from. And you see that in the first three verses. Um, Verses 1 through 3 says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Now, you see the word me there. It seems to imply an individual expression or experience at first, but then the author immediately makes a collective. So it's, greatly have they afflicted me, let Israel now say. So they, that's being referred to there, is likely one of the many oppressors that Israel faced throughout the history. Uh, Derek Kidner, a commentator, says that whereas most nations tend to look back on what they have achieved, Israel reflects here on what she has survived. From my youth, that phrase takes us back, at least in my mind, takes us back to when Israel was just budding and getting started as a nation. Specifically, it takes me back to when they were in Egypt. You remember in uh, Egypt, after Joseph has died, and they're in Goshen, and they're just beginning to really sprout and bud as a nation, and, you know, the, the Egyptians are getting scared, and they're, they're getting uh, concerned. As a matter of fact, uh, Exodus, uh, the first chapter, verses 6 to 7, uh, highlights this. It should be on the screen. It says, then Joseph died, and all of his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so so that the land was filled with them. So they were growing at such a rapid rate that the new Pharaoh and the Egyptians began to get very concerned. And if you go further into that chapter in verses 11 through 14, it says in response to this, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That word ruthlessly being repeated really paints a grim picture of the treatment that the Israelites received at the hands of the Egyptians. And if you look at verse 3 in Psalm 129, it says, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long furrows. Can you imagine that grisly picture? It brings to mind the wounds that a slave would receive being whipped by taskmasters, by slave masters. 
And these were not just little cuts and scratches. It says plowed. Those of you that you know, are, are farmers or do any kind of work in gardening know that a plow makes deep cuts into the ground. You have to plow deep into the soil in order to be able to plant your seeds in an area that they can grow. So these are deep, grisly, graphic wounds, deep lacerations. It's, it's reminiscent in a lot of ways of the scourging that Jesus experienced prior to his crucifixion. If you recall anything about the horrific nature of scourging, uh, the Romans used what they called a cat of nine tails or flagrum. And it, it, it was basically uh, a, 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 like a short wooden handle, probably about the size of this mic really here that I'm holding, and attached to the handle were about three or four straps, uh, leather straps, and attached to these straps were pieces of uh, metal and wire and bone and glass at times. And so when a Roman soldier whipped a victim, there were literally chunks of flesh ripped out of them. It was gruesome. This is kind of the imagery here that's being painted. This is the treatment that the Israelites received. Now, if I'm going to keep it a buck with every one of you, this certainly resonates with me as a black man, given our country's racial history and our country's complicity in the slave trade and slavery as a whole. It, it resonates with me in a way that, that is unique. But as a black Christian, the last phrase in verse 2 resonates with me even more. Yet they have not prevailed against me, against us. Dr. Esau Macaulay says that the black Christian always felt a particular kinship with this crucified king from an oppressed ethnic group. The cross helps us make sense of the lynching tree. The suffering of Jesus Christ helps us make sense of the lynching tree. And you see this in the black church typically, how celebratory and how victorious the worship is and you know, how much it's about encouraging. And you know, like, Dr. like Derek Kidner says, we're all about talking about what we survived. And there's a uniqueness to that worship. Now, I don't want to make the mistake of being narcissistic with our pain. Um, any of y'all, have y'all ever heard the, the old Negro spiritual, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen? I, I resonate with that somewhat. I don't think it's completely right, because it's, it's a bit narcissistic for me to say that nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Um, all of us have pain that's unique, but that doesn't mean that nobody else knows pain, right? So it resonates, but it's collective. It's not just individual. But I love in verse 4 how uh, our, our, our text picks up, and this brings me to point number two, the righteous rescuer. Say that with me, the righteous rescuer. Come on, y'all say it louder than that. The righteous rescuer. All right, there you go. It's a talk back church in y'all, I'm telling y'all. The psalmist says that the Lord is righteous. He's righteous. He sees the injustice done to his people. And he doesn't sit idly by. He is just in his judgment. He is not slack concerning his promises, as Peter wrote in one of his epistles, but he's, he's faithful to keep and to preserve his people. And he cuts the cords of the wicked. Now, go back to the imagery of the plowers plowing over the backs of Israel. Imagine for a moment uh, yourself as Israel laying in a field, and you have these plowers literally running plows back and forth across your back. And you're constantly being cut on, constantly being plowed into. And then all of a sudden you realize 
the plowing has stopped. The pain is no longer there. And the, the taskmasters are, are, are still shouting orders. And you see the plows and you see the oxen, but there's no more pain. Because the harness cords that connected the oxen to the plows have been cut. And it renders what the plowers were doing powerless. So what the psalmist here is saying is that God has cut the cords of the wicked. He's taken the sting out of what they were doing. He's rendered them powerless. Rendered them powerless. Now, how can that reality, how can that truth give us hope today? Was it not said of Jesus in 1 John 3 and 8 that he came to destroy the works of the devil? That's in there, right? That, that, that's, that's a word. Now, whether or not you've experienced legitimate earthly oppression, all of us have been plowed into by the oppression of sin. All of us have experienced the oppression of sin. And the thing is, in our own sin, we were justly deserving of the punishment. Isaiah 53 and 5, and I apologize for not having that slide, but Isaiah 53 and 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So the same plows that were plowed into our back, Jesus took those wounds upon himself, and with his stripes we are healed. Not only that, but in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, Paul says, for our sake, the Father made Jesus the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, because the Lord is righteous, we who are in Christ are made righteous. I'm going to say that again. Because our Lord is righteous, we who are in him, in Christ, have been made righteous. Not perfect, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we are declared righteous. We are justified. We are put in right standing with the Father through the work of the Son. And we are continually being perfected by the work of the Spirit. I don't know about you all, but that's good news. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. He has rendered the power of the wicked powerless. And through the work of Jesus, the power of sin is broken over us. Now, that's great news, but as we delve deeper into this psalm, there's a major tone shift starting in verse 5. And that brings me to my third and final point, the way of the wicked. Verse 5 says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. And he continues in verse 6, Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up. With, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaths his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, for some of us, <laughs> hearing the psalmist here wish this upon his enemies doesn't really seem all that Christ-like, right? Jesus says, you know, well, we ought to love our enemies, right? So hearing the psalmist wish these things upon his enemies, it may rub us the wrong way at first. But before we jump to conclusions, let's consider a couple of things. Number one, keep in mind what Israel had just suffered. Bear in mind what was done to them at the hands of the Egyptians. Okay? 
Uh, Eugene Peterson has a quote that, that I love that really kind of captures the attitude, the mindset of the psalmist here as he writes this. Eugene Peterson says, anger seethes and pulses in the wounds. A sense of wrong has been festering. Accumulated resentment wants vindication. The children of Israel want some form of vindication, having been wronged like this. Now, however much we feel the inappropriateness of this kind of thing in a man or woman of faith, we must also admit to its authenticity. Let's be real. If we were done the way that the children of Israel were done, would our initial response be, God bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's all good. It's no, 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 no. I'd be mad. I'd want some vindication. I'd want some justice. Am I the only one? Let's, let's be real with ourselves before we jump to conclusions, before we try to Jesus juke and say, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. Keep in mind what they endured. For who does not experience flashes of anger at those who make our way hard and difficult? Who doesn't experience that? Keeping in mind what Israel endured, number one. And number two, uh, Derek Kidner also points out that throughout Psalms, Zion is considered the city of our God, the mount for his abode, his abiding place, the place where God resides. So in essence, those who reject Zion are not only choosing the way of hate, but they're setting themselves against God. So this is not just the psalmist picking and choosing their favorite place and saying, yeah, let all who hate this particular place, you know, they, they can get it, right? This is literally the psalmist saying, let all who hate where God resides, thus that all who set themselves against God be put to shame and turned backward. The psalmist has a right to make that declaration because as has already been pointed out in verse four, our Lord is righteous. He's righteous. He is the standard for right and wrong. So to set yourself against him, well, you're going the way of the wicked. So may all who <laughs> set themselves against Zion, may all who hate Zion be put to shame, turn backwards. May those efforts that they were making in plowing over uh, God's people, may they be like the grass that withers. And, and, and may, may, may their efforts be rendered powerless. I'm reminded of Psalm 1, uh, verses 4 through 6 specifically. Psalm 1, where it says, the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away, just like the grass on the rooftop that withers. They're like the grass, the chaff that withers and dries and goes away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's reality. And I want to say, as I conclude, to those who have not repented of your sin, listen, I say this in love, you're going the way of the wicked. It's the truth. To those of you that have not repented, to those of you that have not acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to bring that stark reality to you, but I also want to tell you that you have hope. Please know that you have hope. 
God, as scripture constantly frames him, is slow to anger, full of compassion and steadfast love, full of mercy. His mercies are renewed every morning. And he is eager for you to turn to him. God is not stingy with his grace or his mercy. He is eager for you to turn to him. Ezekiel 18 and 23 says, God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God gets no pleasure at people that turn away from him. He gets no pleasure when they die. He gets no pleasure in sinners going the way of the wicked. He desires that you turn to him and live. He doesn't want you to be like the grass that withers on the rooftop, nor does he want you to be devoid of his blessing. He is eager to save. Not only is he mighty to save, as we like to sing all the time, he's eager to save. Jesus even said that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 people who claim to have it together but don't. To the righteous in Christ, to those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus, those who have repented and believe, take courage in the fact that Jesus is our righteous rescuer. He's righteous in that he is faithful to preserve us. And because he was afflicted, because Jesus was afflicted, we have been made victorious. God's enemies have not prevailed, nor will they prevail against us. Jesus made it plain. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Saints, many of us are afflicted here. Many of us have been afflicted. Many of us are afflicted now. Many of us will be afflicted in the future. Suffering is a part of the package. But we are afflicted yet victorious because Jesus was afflicted yet victorious. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word, your word that brings life, your word, God, that corrects, that gives hope. I'm so thankful, God, that, God, you've given us so much hope in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of the things that we have suffered that have wounded us to the core. God, you are an ever-present help in the time of our trouble, and you don't sit idly by as injustice is done, but, God, you you administer justice, and you will administer full justice in the days to come. I pray that you would help us to take heart in that, and I pray, God, that those that don't know you, that don't have right relationship with you, those that are not saved, may they be drawn to you. May they not go the way of the wicked. God, you desire that they would turn to you and live. I pray that everyone on the sound of my voice that does not know you, may they be drawn to you. May they repent of their sin and turn and be saved. And may those of us, God, who have already taken that step, and may those of us who have already repented and believed, may we be strengthened, and may we be girded up in the truth that you are our righteous rescuer, and that there is nothing that the enemy can do that will harm us, that will keep us out of your hand, that will pluck us out of your hand. Help us to be strengthened and to be solidified in that reality. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.